Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. after everybody's had an extra hour of sleep. You are ready. You are ready. The Lord prepared you. Um, So I woke up the other day to this word gliding. Um, The Lord was speaking this word to me, and I was reminded of this time that I was in Switzerland, and I was much younger. (laughs) And in this moment, there was um, a a friend and I decided that we were going to paraglide in the Swiss Alps. And through the Swiss Alps, the, the intention was that there was a guide, you're riding tandem, right? And there's a parachute, and your call was to go, your instruction was to go run as fast as you could, as hard as you could, in sync off the cliff. Yes! <laughs> that was it. That's all I had to do, run as fast as I could, off of the cliff and as we ran and the the tandem guide was telling us you know go 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 it was like okay there's really nothing else to do I'm going to trust that you are going to stay attached and so is the parachute and oftentimes we feel that way coming into sermons or messages on being sent all I have to do is run off the edge of the cliff And suddenly all of the verses, the entirety of the Bible, becomes this parachute. And the guide that's with me launches me off. And we have what I can only call the best view I've ever seen. The best view ever. And it's a new view, one that you don't have when you stay on the side of the cliff. You get a different perspective. You go places that the cliff can't take you, the places that the mountains don't go. You're in the air and you're gliding. And as the Lord was showing me this, that's what I saw for us today, that he's going to launch us into a place where we have a new view and the best view ever because we decided we're going to go. We're going to run and jump and we're going to trust. This evangelist, revivalist, Leonard Ravenhill, he wrote this book called Why Revival Tarries. He had some things to say about the church and the sentness of it in the 20th century. And he said this, Dear believers, listen, the world is not waiting for a new definition of the gospel, but for a new demonstration of the power of the gospel. And let me tell you that that new demonstration is you. You are the new demonstration of God's power. 
Have you been made new, church? Have you found new life in Christ? I need your agreement here. Have you been made new? If you haven't, today's the day for you to get that new view. But if you have been made new, if you've called on the name of the Lord and you've been saved, then you are the new demonstration of God's power. Romans 10, 13 says, And it's true, everyone who calls on the Lord's name will experience new life. But how? So it has this one piece. So so you're made new. This is how you came to new life. You called on the name of the Lord. And then after that, it says, But how can people call on him for help if they've not yet believed? And how can they believe in one they've not yet heard of? And how can they hear the message of life if there's no one there to proclaim it? How can the message be proclaimed if messengers have not have yet to be sent? How is it possible for us to get this new view unless we go? For us to share in, in the goodness that we found and the trust that we now have if we don't go? How welcome, it says, is the arrival of those proclaiming the joyful news of peace and of good things to come. We need to agree that this is what the scripture says because what we do is we position ourselves in our minds with rejection before we even start. But we need to hear how welcome is the arrival of those proclaiming the joyful news of peace and good things to come. How welcome are you when you step into that place of bringing hope and joy and love, of being sent But we sit in rejection and resist what the very call on our life. My call is to reach, to preach, and to disciple others, to reach, preach, and disciple. That is my call. And in some various form, that is yours too. In some way, you uniquely are positioned to do the same thing because it's the great commission for all of us. Reach, preach, disciple others, to reach, preach, disciple. We are the strategy of God's hope for the world. He chose us to be sent. It says in 2 Corinthians, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and his salvation of the very thing that you hold and then ignore it. Now, how could we ignore it, we might say? Don't ignore what it prompts you to do. It's impossible for the gospel in you not to be shared unless you ignore it, unless you choose to say, I'm not going to go. I'm going to reject and resist this urge that my spirit has to make sure all know who my Savior is. We would ignore or deny or doubt or count ourselves out. And you may already be doing this. Aaron, I don't want to jump off the side of a cliff. I don't want to go to those places. I know we just sang, Lord, send me, but I have a problem with where he might send me, who he might send me to, what he might tell me to say, and all of those things. So that's fine. I'm going to let you have that one. I could never, and I want you to fill in the blank in your head, whatever your doubting is, I could never that. I could never do that. I could never give that. I could never go there. Go ahead and say that. But at the end, I want you to say without Jesus. I could never fill in the blank with whatever is resistant to you in your mind, your own knowledge of yourself, and put without Jesus at the end. Because I am telling you, I couldn't stand up here without Jesus. 
I couldn't have gone to Nigeria without Jesus. I could not homeschool my kids on a daily basis without Jesus. I couldn't be married to the man that I am, as wonderful as he is. I know myself and I know what I've done before without Jesus. So all the places you've counted yourself out, we need to come into agreement with what he's saying and receive him as the one who lets us do impossible things with him to jump off those cliffs, to run toward them. That's an offensive strategy, isn't it? He's not pushing us. He's not pushing us. He's like, go ahead, run. So I love when Pastor Chuck does this in his sermon, so I'm I'm taking it from him because it's a good thing. I want us right now in that declaration, just put your hand over your heart and repeat after me, Jesus, I put you at the helm of my faith. I agree that you are the author of my faith. I agree that you are the director of my faith. Amen. We are called to be faithful, not successful. And see, when we allow the Holy Spirit to author our faith, he starts writing faith in us, and he doesn't just write one page in a book. He fills the whole thing. A whole library of faith is being written in us so much that it overflows. We become filled with faith, and from that place, we become faithful. Faithful to what he's called us to do. So how do we walk faithfully? We've come into agreement now that God is going to write faithfulness in us. We're going to be filled with faith, and we're going to move from that. So how do we do that? How do we continue to walk as missionaries in our everyday life? If you didn't listen to Pastor Chuck's message, go back. It is so important for you to know how to live this out at home. And from that place, we need to understand how missionaries operate around the world. We're going to glean from them to be here as missionaries. Missionaries return. The first thing that missionaries do is they return. And here's what's important, you guys. What is happening in the movement of missionaries around the world, I'm so thankful for this, is that a few are being sent around the world to encourage partners. That's what we do in Haiti and Nigeria. We go as partners to encourage them. A few are being sent to establish something, the gospel there, and to equip those who are local to give it out. They are actively trying to work themselves out of a job. That is their goal, to leave the gospel there in the hands of those who understand the culture and to get into places that they can't get into. And so, my friends, if you think that your opportunities are going to just be around the world, no. He is equipping us to stay here. Okay? He's equipped. That is, our, that is who we are. Who is better to be missionaries to America than us? Do you want another person coming in and telling you about the gospel that you've had in your hand this whole time? No. We are called to be equipped to go out into the world, to our world, to Brandon, the Bay, and beyond. And where he's called us to go beyond, we will be equippers of things for it to stay there. We are partners. We are not saviors. That has been the legacy of the Western church to come in and be a savior, and that's not the call. That never was the call. We are to come into agreement with what God is establishing there to give it to the, the local ones 
and to come back to be missionaries here. So missionaries return. You were saved to return to Jesus and to be sent to others. This is our constant position, that we would return to the sender to be sent. We live from a sent place. And if you're wondering what send her is, this is where it came from, that we return to the sender to send her out to where the fivefold elders are to equip and release them to go into the world, to our local places. This is God's strategy for the gospel, us being sent. This is the call as a missionary. Missionaries always live from this sent place. And I know this because when we were in um, Nigeria, there was that we were always living in a sent place. We were like children who didn't really know what the day would look like. If we were told, go here, we went. We didn't have enough information to ask very many questions or to answer any at all. So we just went along, as Pastor Wilson told us. And the first night we were there, we get to the gate and we're staying in Lagos because we had to pick up a plane the next day. And so we're staying at this hotel and as we come in, there's a big gate on the front and they come out and they have this mirror and they look under our car to make sure there's no bombs. And they said, go ahead and come in. And we're like, we are not in the U.S. of A. So we, we get in there and we, um, our, he instructs us to close our doors. So we do, and he said, I'm gonna, this is my knock. Three knocks. He said, if you hear that, you can open the door. If you do not hear that, do not open the door. He was very clear with us <laughs> that we are to do and we were to live by way, the way that he showed us how to go. We were living from a sent place. And when he came knocking in the morning or at night, we went where he told us to go. Like children, full of faith, running off a cliff, not exactly knowing where that would be. We live from a sent place. As missionaries, regardless of where or who we're sent to, these are the questions that we're constantly asking as we live in that sent place. We're asking certain questions. Assessing things. Missionaries assess things all the time. And you probably do this without even thinking about it. Your kids come to you with needs, your, your spouse, your friends, they come to you with needs, and you're constantly assessing things in your love for them. The rhythms. We're assessing rhythms of people. Where do they eat? Where do they sleep? Where do they work? Where do they play? Where do they rest? Spend their money? What celebrations do they have? What are the rhythms of their life? How do I come into that with them? How, do I, how am I with them in that? What are their cultural values? What traditions do they have? Customs, core beliefs, principles. What interactions do they have? When I was thinking about rhythms, I remembered that in... Spain, I, was, I did a study abroad, and in Spain, they have siestas, two to five every day. Everything shuts down, but I didn't really know that that was a legit thing. Like, you read about some things in books, and you're like, is that real? And so the first day, my friend and I decide after class that we were going to go hang out and go get something to eat and walk around and shop, and there was not a place open to do any of that. They shut down for a siesta from two to five. Even in their major cities, they do that. At least they did back then. That was a while ago. 
So that would have been silly of me as a missionary to think that I was going to be able to speak to anybody if I didn't know the rhythm of their life. It would have been foolish of me and arrogant to think that I can come into the rhythm of their life and that I would be honored there. We have to see the rhythms of people's life and come alongside them in it. And cultural values, I learned very quickly as a missionary that when you're presented food in a country, especially if they've, they have saved three or four days worth of wages to feed you as a missionary, that you honor them by receiving whatever they give you. So the first time that I was in uh, Guatemala, I, we were in this village and somebody had been making, I mean, they're hand making all of these beautiful things, all this food and everything like that. And we're sitting outside on this hill and it was so beautiful. And I was presented for the first time ate goat meat empanadas. And they were good. They were delicious, and I received them because I received and assessed their cultural value and came into agreement with it because I love them. We're constantly also assessing need. Now, we all have some fundamental needs, and if we understand that we all have them, we'll be tuned in to where, what the needs are, and we can speak to that in a loving way. Physical needs would be food, water, clothing, shelter, healing, medicine, education. These are physical needs that we all have. Emotional needs would be acceptance, belonging, love, right? Don't you agree that we all need these? These are fundamental needs of us. And then spiritual needs, the love of Jesus, the love of the Father, the blood of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a, a ton of ways to meet these needs, and you, as an individual, have the privilege of discovering with each person a new demonstration of the power of the gospel. I can't even figure out how many different ways you could meet several of these needs at once with one person. But if you're constantly assessing what do they need, how can I love them? Because I already do. You'll find the Holy Spirit will prompt you, and you'll see a new demonstration of your gifts, the way you uniquely love people, right on time. How do we do that? Missionaries respond. They respond to the needs. We as missionaries respond to the needs, and we do that by sharing. Sharing is not a new concept. We learn it in kindergarten. It's to partake of, experience, enjoy with others, to have in common, distribute, post, grant, tell, divide and distribute, and take shares of something. So there's this exchange that happens when we're responding. We're not coming in as saviors. We come from the Savior, but we don't come in as saviors. We have an exchange because there's a humility there that we need. But this kindergarten concept for us is important because what we often need to grow up in is this idea of generosity, of sharing, that it comes at a young age, especially when our hands are small. When our hands get bigger, who agrees that it's harder to share those things? When our accounts get bigger, when our pockets get bigger, that's why I love that line, whether I am poor or whether I am wealthy, 
I will love you the same. I will give my life the same. I will share my life the same. In want or in need, I will do the same for you, Father. We want more, not less. And so understanding that we respond at a place of sharing, some of us need to relearn that concept from kindergarten. So if we're going to start small, if we're going to start here in this one place, I invite us, I encourage us, and I give us a little bit of homework today to start very simply with sharing our story, our gospel message, the new demonstration of the gospel in us. I asked you earlier, what have you called on the name of the Lord to receive new life? And if you have, then you have a gospel story. And maybe nobody's ever encouraged you to know what that is, but it's simply kindergarten basic one line. I was one way. I was fill in the blank, but now I'm fill in the blank because of Jesus. I was hungry. Now I'm fully satisfied because of Jesus. I was depressed. Now I'm filled with joy because of Jesus. I was broken, and now I've been made whole because of Jesus. I was grieving and mourning and depressed, and now I have a crown of beauty because of Jesus. Every single way that you can fill in those blanks is relevant to someone somewhere. And he is equipping you to know exactly how to respond, how to share that good news with people. So however many ways you can fill in that blank, I encourage you to write every single one of them down because there's a place that he's equipping your heart to know how to respond. It is not for nothing. And those of us, we need to meditate on those words. We need to be reminded of who we were and now who we are. We've gotten so full in the church, we forgot what it was like to be hungry. And so when you sit next to somebody who is hungry, oh man, the food starts tasting good again. You're not complaining about it all the time. Because you remember what it was like to be hungry and then to be satisfied by the word of God. And so all the other things don't matter. There is a flexibility to missionaries. That everything is held loosely. We won't be so angry about how things are or aren't. We'll move out of a love and compassion for the gospel and knowing where we once were and where we are now. And it will inform our hearts and we'll sing it in a new way. We'll have a new view because we've run off that cliff and we found him to be faithful, that there really is a parachute, that we really are welcome. I have seen this many times in my own life, so many times. And recently, I had the privilege of sitting with um, Karis Dogdils. Karis, you can make your way up here. She has been on every mission trip to Haiti that we've had, all four of them. She has captured every image, almost, that you see um, on any of our posts from Haiti. She has probably been... The, uh, the one to take those photos. She's documented so many of our trips. She is a friend of mine. And I remember the first trip that we took. 
She was so excited to go. And so we were fundraising and doing all these things, and she's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, but I'm going to save as much as I can. I'm going to do as much as I can. I'll work extra. I'll, you know, cut back on wherever I can. But she was a student putting herself through college and doing all this, so she didn't have a whole lot. And the day of our trip, I remember she handed me a a Ziploc bag full of change and dollars and put it in my hands and said, this is what I've been able to save. And I was like, that is the widow's might. All that she had, here I am, send me. And I have just had such an affection for her ever since that time. And so I'm so honored today because she's been gone for three months over the summer. We prayed for her many times at the church Um, She was at Hands and Feet Project in Jacmel, Haiti, spending time as their intern, photography intern. And so I wanted us all to hear a little bit about how she's walked as a missionary and let her share her story. So we welcome Karis with me. There we go. You did it. (laughs) We're here. So... um, Karis, why don't you tell us a little bit more? You know, I, I gave a little bit of information, but why don't you tell us a little bit about what you were doing in Haiti this summer? Yeah, so I went to work with the Hands and Feet Project on as a photography and media intern. Um, so I was there for three months, and they're in Jacmel, which is a couple hours south of Port-au-Prince. Um, and yeah, so a little bit about the organization. Yeah, there's a map. I made that. I didn't draw most of it. I just put dots in it. Um, <laughs> but they, um, they should be in the correct yeah um sorry (laughs) anyway yeah so um, a little bit about the organization so there's their mission statement so um it's our christ-centered purpose is to provide family-style residential care and sustainable solutions that fight against haiti's orphan crisis um so they do that through their uh residential care program where they um they have what's called a circle of care so it's their they take care of their physical emotional spiritual and educational needs um, and then in addition, they have a lot of job creation and family preservation initiatives, which help um, prevent the families from having to break up because most kids in orphanages actually have parents um, or at least one parent. Um, they're just not able to care for their kids. So the family preservation helps prevent those families from having to break up and kids ending up from hands in, in places like hands and feet in the first place, which is the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and so when I went, I was uh, mostly a photographer and videographer, but I also did a lot of uh, just helping out with, like, activities and, like, programming and VBS, and uh, we did a lot of movie nights and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and I got to do several, like, really big projects while I was there. So I did one that was, like, a testimony video um, with one of our older guys, and he got to, like, share his testimony and how God's worked through hands and feet in his life, which was really cool. Um, I got to do a video where I went with one of our kids to a local clinic for a physical therapy session. Yeah, that pretty much sums up. Um, <laughs> there was one kid, he's like 10 on campus, and every time he saw me coming, he'd be like, eh. So I just started doing it back, because I can do that. Um, but yeah, so I got to do a video with a physical therapy session with one of our kids, and the Tim Tebow Foundation actually shared it on their Instagram, which was really cool for me. I was like, and then I also got to photograph a graduation ceremony for four of our guys graduating high school, which was really exciting. It's like a huge milestone for them. 
And um, that was really fun just to celebrate with them. And then I also just did a lot of like running around campus, kind of seeing what was going on, seeing what like uh, mischief I could get into and ending up with a parade of like eight people following me. Um, so that was really fun because that's honestly like what I really love to do is just like document kind of life as it happens and the joy and like just unposed existence where people are just being themselves. Mm -hmm. I love that. I um, This is a, an indication of that. That's what you've captured. And I've been speaking with Karis over the last couple of months since she's been back. And um, I, want, I want us all to know that um, what we do in Haiti with Ambassadors of Jesus is a, an incredible work and we're honored to do it. What she's been doing is actually a separate ministry. So she found this on her own and they had an internship opportunity for her with the um, photography. So it's a bit different than what we are, but it's all the same, right? I mean, it's all the kingdom of God. So I just want to make that clear for us. But what's important about this, and, and I know I've said I just love the way you phrased you could kind of have this mission statement for your life, what God has called you to do. So will you talk to us again? Because it's so powerful. Off my notes. Um, so I said, oh, because uh, that's what I love to do, document life as it happens and find the joy and beauty in unposed existence. Isn't that powerful? It's actually what you, yeah, it's so good. It's what you went to school for and everything. Yeah. So um, how did this trip change you specifically, even though you've been to, you know, AOJ and done, um, oh, I forgot. Cue, cue the, whoops, sorry, Candace. I made a video. She has a video because she's so <laughs> incredible. So we get to all share what she's done.
this time, I'm so glad we all got a glimpse of that, and we, I, all the way. Um, how did that change you? How has it changed A lot. Um, so I think the biggest thing probably is just that while I was there, God gave me a much, like, deeper, stronger love for the people that I was with and for Haiti as a whole, and, um, um, and just kind of, I think part of that was just because of how the internship was structured, like, we had time to just be with people, and, I mean, a lot of it was spent working. We pretty much did, like, a nine-to-five kind of thing, but um, after that, like, we just had time to hang out with the kids, to just goof off with them, talk to them. I picked up so much Creole from them. Like, they taught me more than anybody else, probably, um, and so it was just, like, really fun, and I think short-term trips can be really great, but they don't just the way they're structured, it doesn't allow for that same level of, like, relationship building, and it was just really fun to get to know them, because, like, I love these kids, because I know them, I know all their names, and their personalities, and some stuff they like and don't like, and if I saw them from the back across campus, I could recognize them just from spending time with them, um, and it was really cool, and cool, not cruel, um, <laughs> I know how to speak, um, so I guess like well, toward the end, especially when I was kind of fully comfortable, my little squad was like all the 12 to 14 year old boys, which was the group of kids that I like never would have expected would really want to hang out with me. So that's most of them right there. Two of them are missing, but they're in the next photo. Yeah, two of them are the ones on the right. He was like crushing all the bones in my legs at that point. Um, but um, yeah, because I like soccer is a major form of entertainment and I'm really, really bad at it. So I, I tried once went to kick the ball, missed, spun around, and was laughed at for days. So I was very surprised that they like liked me, um, that that particular group especially, because that's like their favorite thing to do. Um, but they figured out real quick that I'm like a huge pushover and a very curious person. And so they'd come to me and be like, can you Google Cristiano Ronaldo's house for us? And I was like, okay. And so <laughs> then we spent like 45 minutes Googling other soccer players' houses and being like, that one's huge. <laughs> They have so many pools. Um, and so then one day it was like, they came up to me and they were like, bulldogs. And I was like, all right. So I Googled bulldog and then by their reactions, I figured out that they meant bull sharks. And so then they would just come up to me and be like, bulldog. And I'd be like, no, bull shark. And it became a whole thing. Because um, every time I Googled the bulldog, they were like, no, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> then there was one day it was blue whales. I think it, that might be the same day. Or no, because it was raining. Never mind. Um, but yeah, so we Googled blue whales, and like we both, because I didn't know this either, discovered that blue whales can be like 98 feet long, mm -hmm. and so it just blew all of our minds, like collectively, and so then we had these like 12-inch tiles on the porch, which is where we always hung out, like in that photo, and so we counted all the tiles on the porch, and like I was trying to explain, like our porch is so short that two porches would make up a blue whale, and it, I was trying to say it in Creole, and it just didn't like, I didn't do it right, but just stuff like that, you know? Like, we would, every day after five, we'd play Uno or Sequence. They love that game. We'd all accuse each other of cheating. They usually were. <laughs> Haitian Uno is like a whole separate game, but it's so much more fun. Um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know, they would like follow me around. They would like watch me edit. We, I would take their picture. They would ask me to take it. Sometimes I would ask them for one. And then they would like crowd around the camera and all be trying to touch it at one time. And just all of that stuff was just so much fun. And like the friendship that we were able to build was really fun, but it took a lot of time. And I think that was like a major thing. And the, I mean, it took, it was probably about six weeks from the time I got there to the time that we all fully like warmed up to each other. Um, and that was honestly kind of hard for me because I always want everyone to like me immediately. And if they don't, I want to cry about it. Um, so I was like, and that kind of leads into another thing that God taught me, which was like, he had to remind me and it kind of sounds like a duh when you hear it, but it was the like important thing for me. He, he had to tell me like, this is not about you. Like you being here, serving the kids, loving the kids, working with hands and feet. None of this is about you. And it sounds really obvious, but I was kind of getting to the point where, like, if I didn't kind of hit my own mental quota of, like, good kid interactions, I was like, man, today was annoying, <laughs> you know? And he was like, I didn't bring you here so you could feel validated because they like you. Like, that's not the point. And um, I think it's kind of just been good for me to realize yeah. that. And it's like, you know, you're here to love them, serve them, serve hands and feet so that they can keep serving them. And because God's good, he's going to throw in all the fun stuff, but it can't be the motivator. Mm. We all needed that, didn't we? We all needed that. So I love, Karis, that you just got to preaching just for that one second. Uh, I'm wondering if you could continue preaching to us and tell us what, how, how our perspective, from your experience, how our perspective might need to, to shift. Yeah. Um, so I think one thing I was saying, like, just because I was – there so long I got to develop kind of a new love for obviously the Haitian people but also just Haiti as a place and so I loved it so much and then when I got home I kind of was frustrated a little bit by I think we have kind of a stigma about it in the states and I feel like that goes for a lot of countries that would kind of be considered like developing countries or a lot of places that are just not here frankly um and I kind of got frustrated because some people asked me some questions. Now, no one here. I'm just going to say that before I... Disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. Nobody here has said anything along these lines to me. But these are all questions that I was asked. Did you live in a little hut? Did the food suck? Got that one twice. No, it was amazing. It's the Caribbean. They have flavor. Um, <laughs> did they speak Tahitian there? And then the same lady who asked me about the hut was like, how long was the plane ride? And I was like... I didn't go to another like mystical land. I wasn't in the Shire. Like it was like Port-au-Prince is closer to us than Chicago is to Tampa. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> And so I think because I got to experience some of like the the more positive things. I mean like we you know, we got to go to like local restaurants. We got to go hiking and see some of the mountains and the beaches and this architecture like this inspired New Orleans. Like this amazing stuff. Um and I feel like we never see that side of things, at least on a larger scale. And I think that if we're gonna step in and try to help and and you know come into the areas that aren't so good, we have to see the the glory that God has always put there and that has been there the whole time. And I mean, He made Haiti; He loves it. He made all the countries; He loves all of them. And He doesn't only see the bad stuff when He looks at them; He sees the culture and the richness and the beauty and all the food, which I also see. And, um, you know, we've got to see it, too, and celebrate it. And even if we're trying to help with the parts that maybe aren't great, which we've got a lot of parts about America that aren't great, mm-hmm. you know, like, we don't have the monopoly. Um, 
And so I'm not saying any of that stuff to either like minimize any of the really heartbreaking stuff that's been going on there, especially like over the past few weeks, it's just been really weighing on me. But I think kind of just realizing like the coexistence and the more like multifaceted nature of a place that often gets generalized and like pigeonholed is important because I think the media likes to show like, oh, it's Haiti, it's devastation and poverty. And yes, that is there. But a lack of material resources doesn't mean a lack of like culture or dignity or value or humanity. So you got to look at all of it. We loved that so much. We had it put <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, she the made screen. me make a slide. <laughs> I was like, just going to say, gonna it say it she made me make a slide. Um, say it again. I, for I us. tried to make it in the overflow colors. Yeah, it's great. I did it's that. beautiful. Um, a lack of yeah. material resources doesn't mean a lack of dignity, a lack of culture, a lack of humanity, or a lack of value. Amen. Amen, Karis. Um, thanks. <laughs> um, and then on a little bit of a, oh yeah, and that, I was going to say this, that I feel like applies to any person or group that you're, that we're called to serve, whether it's here, whether it's abroad, like anybody, you know? Um, and I think there's another thing that I would want to say that's kind of on a different vein, but then also somewhere, and something that I wish that I had believed earlier than I did is just that, like, when you're going, you know, when you're sent and you're supposed to serve and everything, there's space for you to be yourself and, like, to do what you do and be who you are. Um, when I first got to Hands and Feet, like, I felt super out of place because of the whole soccer thing and just, like, the other interns were super athletic. Like, everybody around me was, like, literally running circles around me. And I was just, like... <laughs> I am uncoordinated. I cannot do this. <laughs> I did develop a reputation for injuring myself, but we're not going to go into that. Um, so I was just feeling like a little bit bummed out sometimes, and I would just be on the sidelines just watching. I was like, wow, really good. I don't know what to do with myself. And so my, I brought some chalk with me just because I like doing chalk art like as a side thing. It's just kind of fun. It's for me, like whatever. And um, my mom was like, you should get the chalk out and, like, see if the kids want to do it. And I was like, yeah, I should do that. I just kind of haven't yet. Like, I was like, I don't really know if they'd be into it. Like, whatever. And so one day, I had, it was a Sunday, and I had some time, like, to myself for a while. And all the kids were back in their houses on the back campus. And um, so I just got my chalk, and I, like, went over to the basketball court and just started, like, drawing on the walls by myself. And I was playing music and having a great time. It was just, like, a random, like, swirly thing. And so then a couple days later, some of the kids were like, who did that? That was me. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so then they were like, I want to do it. And so I got the chalk out one day and then like 10 or 15 of them came over and we were all just hanging out and like I would draw a shape on the wall and they would color it in or like they would write their names or draw some self portraits and all this stuff. And it was just so much fun. And it was like, you know, I got to be myself and hang out with them and they liked it and I liked it and everybody was happy. And that was kind of a, an initial like connection point for us, I guess. And then eventually we kind of did connect through like the photos and the videos that I was working on, which these kids have been photographed a lot. So they're more wary of it just because of how hands and feet's sponsorship program works. Like they have their picture taken a lot. And so some of them just are like, please don't make me go through this again. Um, I'm just totally understandable. And we never like forced them, but some of them, you know, it kind of took some time to like get to the point where they were cool with it. They were comfortable with it, but then they would come up to me and be like, Hey, will you take my picture? Or like, I'd just be walking around and they'd be like, Oh, do it. <laughs> And then they wanted to do it themselves, and I was like, um, no. <laughs> but I let them push the buttons eventually. Um, but so just that kind of became a connection point, and it was just such a, a revelation and, like, a relief for me to be like, I can be myself, I can do what God made me good at, and they're still going to 
like me. And obviously, going back to my previous point, that's not the goal, but it makes it easier to really just like dive in if you don't completely feel like a fish out of water. And so I kind of just wanted to say all of that to say, you know, who you are and what you do has a purpose. And if it doesn't fit into any like boxes that you've already seen so far, like maybe you got your own box. And, you know, you can do what you need to do and you can be who God made you to be and he's not trying to change you and there's a purpose for what you do. So bring what you do. Don't hold anything back. Pour it all out and yeah, it'll be good. Yes. Amen. Yes. That took me a long time to learn that and I'm still I'm still learning it a lot. We all are, which is why your 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 words are resonating with us to see that new demonstration. So I'm excited for you to share what is next for you, Karis. Um, so even before I went to Hands and Feet, I was really like interested in finding a way to combine my passion for missions and photography. Um, and I really had no idea what it was going to be like or look like. <coughs> and so when I went to the internship initially, I was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to kind of dip my toe in the water a little bit. Like, it's only three months, so if I get there and I hate it, it's only three months. But if I don't, then cool, and I can go from there. And so it started out as me dipping my toe in the water and ended with me, like, belly flopping off the diving board. <laughs> and I just, I've never, like, loved anything so much in my whole life. And I, while I was there, like, the more I was there, the more I wanted to be there. And I just, I woke up every day and I, I looked at the mountains that were, like, on the back of the campus and I was just like, oh, how? <laughs> and, um, and so I just, and hands and feet was really happy with my work and, Everybody was like, oh, it's so nice to have a photographer here. Normally, we just have to do it ourselves, you know. And they gave me so many projects. And there was one day I was sitting with my, like, kind of boss, Denise, in the big house, which is just, like, a common area where we used to work a lot. And she was, like, doing her own thing, and I was doing my own thing. And she goes, hey, wouldn't it be, like, so funny if you were just kind of here as a photographer, like, full time? And I was like, <laughs> so crazy, right, Denise? That'd be hilarious. And I was like, I have already thought about that. <laughs> And so then I thought about it, and I thought about it every single day for the rest of the time I was there, <laughs> and since I've been home, and it just, like, would not leave me. And I really wanted to talk to Andrea, who's the executive director, and just be like, hey, I really want to work for you guys, but how's this going to go? And, but God was like, you need to hold on. You just need to wait. Don't jump the gun. And I kind of got annoyed, and I was like, okay, how long are we talking here? And he was not telling me. And so I was getting really stressed out about it. And Erin and I had been, like, meeting and mentoring. Or she was mentoring me. I was not mentoring her. Um, and, <laughs> um, and so one day, it was a Sunday a couple weeks ago. And she was like, or I was talking to her. And I was just saying how I was frustrated and stressed out about it. And she was like, your homework before I see you next time is to go talk to her. And I was like, okay. And so I texted Andrea, and we set up a Zoom call, and my heart was, like, pounding, pounding. And I didn't really know how to go into it otherwise, except I was just like, okay, I'm just going to be really straightforward with you. I really enjoyed the internship, and I really want to work for you guys. And Andrea looked at me via Zoom and was like, what took you so long? And I was just like, oh. <laughs> so, long story, well, not really that short, actually. I take it back. Um... <laughs> I'm going to be moving to Haiti sometime in the next several months and working with the Hands of Pete Project. Yay! So exciting. I know you're, you, you came to life 
again after that call. She had gone through a period of like wanting and desire, and she waited on the Lord. And when she when she made that next step, just find out, just go through. It was like this: her joy was restored because there is nothing quite like living out the calling that God has placed on your life. So. I'm so excited, Karis, that this was the moment that you got to share with the whole church that we are launching Karis as our first full-time missionary from Overflow Church. Is that huge? Thank you. Thank you so much. That is huge. So we're still waiting on some details, um, and we'll have more information about that as the time comes, but it looks like the, the end of first or the beginning of the second quarter of 2022. So it's coming up, and she couldn't um, be more excited to get there, and we can't, we couldn't be more excited to send her, right? We, can, we couldn't be more excited to send people out into their calling and what God's um, prompted them to do, a new demonstration of the gospel out in the world. So um, as that comes, she's going to need monthly sponsors. She's going to need um, over $15,000 for her to live for that year and to have the equipment that she needs. And she has to fundraise. Um, and so we will come alongside her church. And I know the Lord is probably prompting some of you already. So if you want to talk to her about anything else, um, we'll have more information about how to give online and all that in the coming weeks. But we just wanted to um, position her well today and let her share, and then she'll be out in the breezeway after church if you want to talk to her any more about that. So isn't that something? Man, that is so cool. So, and I just want to thank you because um, I couldn't have had this time to mentor Karis if you wouldn't have put me here. So I thank you for just seeing God moving and advancing his kingdom um, in missions and outreach, and I just thank you so much. So the last thing we just heard from Karis, the last point I want to make today is that missionaries release. They release. There's four, four components to this. Bold compassion and courageous kindness is what they release. Boldness without compassion is rude, can become rude. Boldness without compassion can become rude. Compassion without boldness can be depressing. As the suffering of the world weighs on you and your heart longs and your, and your heart breaks over that, without a boldness, a prompt to do something, a prompt to act, and a movement, it becomes depressing. Courage without kindness is a death wish. You're just courageously going to all these places without kindness towards yourself or to others. It's a death wish. And kindness without courage bears little evidence of the power of the gospel. Kindness on its own to kind people isn't very difficult, but kindness to your enemies or to those who would oppose you or resist you is the power and evidence of the gospel in you. And this is our call, to release bold compassion and courageous kindness, to live in a responsive posture, and I want to kind of tie this up with one more quote from that revivalist, Leonard Ravenhill, and it says, One of these days, some simple soul will pick up the book of God, read it, and believe it. Then the rest of us will be embarrassed. See, we have adopted the convenient theory that the Bible is a book to be explained, whereas first and foremost, it is a book to be believed, and after that, obeyed. Ooh, it's that simple. 
We believe in who he's called us to be, and we respond. We obey with Jesus and the wind of the Holy Spirit gliding us to new views. There's one place I've been camping on and meditating on. It's Isaiah 61, and I I invite you to stand with me as I read this, and I want you to hear this and speak this over yourself. I want you to receive this word from Isaiah. When Jesus started his ministry, this is what he came out saying and declaring over his life, and this is what he prompts you and I to do, to come into agreement with the authority that is in this scripture, to believe it, and after that, to obey it. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. And remember, those enemies are not flesh and blood. We have no enemy of flesh and blood. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. He is talking about you, church. He is talking about me. He is talking about us. Sent. And this demonstration, this new demonstration of the gospel is meant to be walked out among believers. It is not enough for us to say, me and Jesus, we're good. He gave me my calling. I'm going to go and not understand what it means to be sent. It would be like telling a groom, you're my best friend. You're so awesome. I love you so much. We have a deep relationship. You know what? I don't really like your bride so much. How long is that relationship going to be authentic? Not for very long. We are the bride. For you to love the groom who is Jesus and not advocate for his bride would be to miss his entire heart, to not long to be with his bride, to not care enough about his bride that you love him deeply and can take her for all of her problems. But for us to love him is to be alongside that bride, to be part of the bride the body of Christ. And so just as we had last week, if you are interested in a missional community, if the Lord is prompting you, I would love to hear from you. And if he's calling you to lead, Pastor Chuck would really love to hear from you. And you can find one of us today and talk to us about that because you are meant to walk this out and be sent together. And the last thing is, We've said we're going to respond in bold compassion and courageous kindness. So today we are going to do that as a congregation because you are a new demonstration of God's power, of his gospel. And so some of you are anointed already with boldness. You walk in boldness, declaring things, making them move. You have a boldness in you that the Lord has prompted. And if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. 
because you are going to release the anointing of boldness to your neighbors who don't walk in that anointing. If you have a bold anointing upon you, be bold now and raise your hand. You have a bold anointing. You say things, you move things, you do things, you go places. Raise your hand and share with me, Father, I, I have this because of you. I have this because of you, and so I'm asking for your power to be released upon me and for it to be sent out of my hands. This is you and your prayer, too, those who are holding their hands up in boldness. This is the prompt of the Holy Spirit, that it would be moved from your hands to those who have their hands down. They need your bold anointing upon them. And so you release it right now in the name of Jesus. I release my anointing of boldness to my neighbors. Right now, I release my anointing of boldness. Would you bubble up and rise, Holy Spirit, into a new capacity of boldness in Jesus' name upon this congregation, from this congregation? Just share. Just share that anointing that you've been blessed with. That's what we're doing right now. It's just a sharing of anointing. For those of you who have a compassion anointing, we're going to do the same thing. If you walk in compassion, your heart is rendered just open, broken for the suffering, for the needs that you see. You cry all the tears. You pray all the prayers for the needs that you see. You are compassionate. You walk in a compassionate anointing. Raise your hand, and you are going to release that compassionate anointing in the name of Jesus to your neighbors who have their hands down. This is how we walk together, bold and compassionate. This is how we share what we have. In Jesus' name, I release a compassionate anointing upon this body of believers. For those who already walk in it, Father, I ask for it to rise right now, Holy Spirit, in them. And for those who are receiving it for the first time, may they feel the power. May their hearts start to break. May they see the lonely and the needy, Father. Would, the, would they assess so quickly with compassion and love? Would they be moved by your heart? Thank you, Father, for sinking these things together, for aligning them, Lord. If you carry a courage, raise your hand. You're not deterred by danger, by pain, by cost, by loss. You will go anyway. You walk in courage. You walk in courage. You walk in courage. Release that right now in Jesus' name. Courage be upon you. Take courage Beloved, take courage. It's yours to receive all of the courage of heaven. Just receive it. Take courage, beloved. Take courage. It is yours. It is yours. That you would go anyway, undeterred by fear. Undeterred by fear. In Jesus' name. And if you walk in kindness, you are known to help. You love, you lighten, you remove, you free, you give, you exchange, you feed, you help. You have a helping gift. If you walk in kindness, I want you to raise your hand and extend and release that to your neighbor. 
There's people around you that need what you hold. You are sharing that in the name of Jesus. I release kindness upon you. That it is God's kindness that draws us to repentance. It is not his judgment. It is not fear. It is his kindness that has led you and I to repentance because he's good. And so may that kindness overflow in you right now and you feel his kindness, the kindness that would cause you to return to him every time you go out to be sent right from that place you would live there in his kindness and you would respond with courage for your enemies and forgiveness for your enemies in Jesus name that these two would become one in your life you would move in courageous kindness I release all of heaven's blessings over you father you are the one who taught us how to share for you shared your son with us so we just receive all that you want to share for us today all that you have we just dispense it from heaven right now to your people I call for every blessing upon them in Jesus' name. And I pray, Father, that they would take great courage in going places that they could never go because they have you with them. Because they know you're with them. In Jesus' name, amen.